Pastor David Herrera. Good morning, Pastor David. You are now on the air with our program, The Gospel Hour. Good morning. I'm honored to be with you once again this morning to share with you some of the wonderful truths from the Word of God. This morning I would like to speak to you about the power of the cross. And my text is in Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 45. And here we have a description of Jesus' death on the cross. In that text we read, Now from the sixth hour darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there when they heard it began saying, This man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran, and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, Let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split, and the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city, and appeared to many. In 2004, here in the United States, a movie came out entitled The Passion of the Christ. The director, Mel Gibson, described his rationale for the movie, and he said, quote, I went to the wounds of Christ to cure my wounds. My wounds were healed by his wounds. I had to tell the story of those wounds, end quote. Now, my friends, that might sound noble and profound, but I would submit to you that the gospel of Christ is not about curing personal wounds. Jesus never preached a message on how to boost your self-esteem or heal your memories or overcome addictions, how to have a better marriage. It was not about rising above the pain of abuse or conquering depression. Instead, he came to call sinners to repentance. The crucifixion of Christ is all about reconciling sinful man to a holy God. In fact, in 1 Peter 2:24, we read that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He bore the wrath of God in our place to satisfy his justice. And this morning, my prayer is for each of you to understand six miraculous messages revealing the power of the cross. Here in this text, we have six supernatural events that manifest the infinite power of God and His infinite hatred of sin, all of which reveal His purposes in the crucifixion and provide a preview of impending judgment on all who disregard what happened there. First, we see the power of the cross when the darkness fell upon the earth. In verse 45, Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. The sixth hour would have been twelve o'clock. He had been crucified at nine a.m. Here, my friends, the light of the world was symbolically extinguished 
for a world that prefers darkness to light. The word land can also be translated earth. In fact, Luke described the darkness with the word eklepo. We get our word eclipse from that, and it means to fail utterly. In other words, the lights of heaven were turned out at that very moment. There are even other extra-biblical reports commenting on the eerie darkness of that day, including one from Pilate to Tiberius remarking on the widespread darkness of those three hours between twelve and three. My friends, during that time, the darkness of divine judgment fell upon the Son of Righteousness, and I cannot help but believe that this darkness covered the whole earth as a preview of another period of judgment that will be worldwide. In Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 29, Jesus had just days earlier promised similar darkness during the catastrophic judgment of Daniel's 70th week. Just prior to his second coming, he says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers will be shaken. And in Isaiah chapter 13, beginning in verse 9, he speaks about this time as well, saying, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel, with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. The prophets Joel and Amos and Zephaniah all speak of this time using the same terminology, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of wrath and destruction and trouble and distress, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Scripture repeatedly uses darkness as a mark of divine judgment. Fallen angels have been committed to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, according to 2 Peter 2.4. And according to Jude 6, we read that they are currently kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of that great day. In fact, speaking of man's sinful nature, Jesus said in Matthew 6.23, If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! Those who prefer darkness rather than light will have their way for eternity unless they repent. Jesus said in Matthew 8.12, The sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So God's first miraculous message during the crucifixion of His Son demonstrated the blackness of His judgment and His immeasurable hatred towards sin, all but a preview of what will someday come upon those who refuse His gift of forgiveness. The second miraculous message revealing the power of the cross is seen in the alienation of the Father. In verse 46 we read, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here I speak of a matter infinitely beyond my ability to comprehend. Because here the soul of the man of sorrows collapses under the infinite weight of the justice of God. The one who had no sin of his own was now immersed in a vast ocean of it. The Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
Within the triune Godhead, he enjoyed a holy fellowship, utterly bereft of the ravages of sin. But now this holy union is temporarily shattered. Here the darkness of the day bears witness to the darkness of his spirit. His heart-rending wail reveals the ultimate extremity of anguish, the very bottom of the abyss of sorrow. Prior to this, all the agonies of torture have been borne in silence. The beatings, the ridicule, scourgings, the crown of thorns, the nails. But now the pain of divine desertion is a grief too great to bear in silence. So from the depths of his tormented soul, with his heart breaking, his voice penetrates the darkness as he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You will notice that he did not ask Peter, why did you forsake me? Nor Judas, why have you forsaken me? Nor Israel, why have you forsaken me? No, he could bear human abandonment. He was used to that. But being deserted by the Father was altogether another matter. But now as our Redeemer bears the curse of the law in our stead... The holy judge who cannot look upon sin must turn his back upon the one who must be made to bear it. Indeed, as Habakkuk 1 verse 13 tells us, Thine eyes are too pure to approve evil, and thou canst not look on wickedness with favor. While the love of the Father for the Son never waned, the expiation of sin required that sweet communion to be withdrawn. The substitute for the guilty must now drink the cup of divine wrath to the very dregs. There, my friends, on that tree, the one who came to give his life a ransom for many, not only bore our sin, but he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He became, according to Galatians 3.13, a curse for us. He took our sin and gave us his righteousness. And now in the furnace of divine wrath, when the heat is at its hottest, the constant comfort of divine fellowship is broken. Thus we hear the Savior's sorrowful lament, quoting Psalm 22 and verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Dear Christian, rejoice. God has promised he will never leave us nor forsake us. Because of God's great love, none of us will ever know His absence from our lives. But here in this scene, we have a prelude to hell. Beyond the physical agonies of hell, one of the greatest torments an unbeliever will experience will be the eternal separation and isolation from the unappreciated benefits of God's glorious presence. So as Jesus cried out in desperation to His Father, the wicked mockers continued to taunt Him, saying, in verse 7, this man is calling for Elijah. And in verse 49, but the rest of them said, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. I find it amazing. Even the mysterious darkness did not silence their blasphemies. Nor will the darkness of hell stop the blasphemies of the damned. Now at this point in John's gospel, we learn that it was at this time, according to John 19.28, that Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished in order that the Scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I am thirsty. 
And also in Matthew, in verse 48, we read, Immediately one of them ran, and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave him a drink. The sour wine was an ancient thirst quencher, a highly diluted wine. And then John tells us in chapter 19, verse 30, When Jesus therefore had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The Greek word here translated, it is finished, has been found in ancient papyrus tax receipts and can also be translated, paid in full. And indeed on the cross, Christ paid in full the sins of all who will trust him as Savior. This brings us to the third miraculous message depicting the power of Christ's saving work on the cross, and that is the surrender of the Savior's spirit. In verse 50 we read, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. We see the miraculous nature of this event in the term yielded up, which means to deliberately let go or send away. Now please understand, Jesus did not commit suicide, nor did his physical condition steadily deteriorate until he died. The stamina and recuperative powers of his unfallen humanness could have sustained his life had he chosen to go on living, but rather we see that he yielded up his spirit as an act of his own sovereign will. As we just read in John 19 and verse 30, we see that he literally cried out from the cross, It is finished! It was not a faint murmur. Luke even adds in chapter 23, verse 46, It is finished! Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. My friends, here we witness the fulfillment of Jesus' words in John 10 and verse 18 when he said, I lay down my life on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. No human being could have taken his life from him. Only God could yield it up. At that moment, a fourth miraculous message was sent from a holy God to a sinful man, as we read in verse 51, the rending of the veil. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Suddenly the beautiful and massive curtain in the temple that separated sinful man from the Holy of Holies is dramatically ripped from top to bottom. No longer would access into the presence of God be limited to the high priest, but now God will meet with every man who enters by the blood of Christ. Praise God, the barrier of sin has been removed by the one who bore our sin. Therefore, as the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 4 and verse 16, let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. O oh, child of God, what fellowship is ours because of Christ? But while the worshipers in the temple stood back in horror, as the veil exposed them to the presence of God, we see yet another miraculous message of the power of the cross. Number five, the quaking of the earth. In verse 51, we read that the earth shook and the rocks were split. Here the Almighty Creator shakes the earth in an act of divine judgment, giving as a preview of a greater judgment to come. You will recall that He once shook the earth at Mount Sinai when He appeared to Moses. 
In Exodus 19, verse 18, we read that the whole mountain quaked violently. But when he returns to earth again, in his final judgment, he promises to violently shake the entire universe. Just prior to the Lord's return, he tells us in chapter 24 of Matthew and verse 29, that the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Dear friends, a day is coming when the suffering and shame of the Savior will become the suffering and shame of sinners who have rejected Him. And there will be no solid ground on which to stand, neither physically or spiritually. And the might of the Almighty that caused that earthquake will be unleashed upon all who refuse to believe. And finally, we see one last miraculous message of the power of the cross and that is the bodily resurrection of selected saints. In verses 52 through 53, we read that the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs, after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. We know, according to 1 Corinthians 15:20 that the Lord Jesus was the firstfruits of those who were asleep, the first of the resurrection harvest, and His resurrection guarantees ours. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. What an amazing event this was. The spirits of selected old covenant saints who had placed their faith in God's saving grace before the cross are now united to glorified bodies. We are not told what they did. They probably appeared to other saints and enjoyed a brief time of fellowship with them then quickly ascended back to glory. But what a magnificent encouragement this must have been to the beleaguered saints in Jerusalem who were mourning the loss of the Savior, confused and frightened. O oh, child of God, please hear me. We have a glorious Redeemer, and may we all praise Him for His saving work. And those of you who secretly laugh at all of this, I solemnly warn you as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a holy judge will one day pour out his wrath upon you unless you repent and believe. So I plead with you to bow before the cross in humble repentance while there is still time, lest you someday be consumed by his fierce wrath. His grace awaits you. Won't you trust him as Savior today before it's too late? Father, work your mighty work of grace in every heart. And may the power of the cross save many for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, yes. Uh, God uh, died on the cross, and the power of the cross is the salvation. So thank you so much, uh, Pastor David. You're welcome, my friend. Yes, sir, and we'll in touch with you later. Okay, may God bless you and all that you do for His glory. We pray you've been edified by this presentation. You've been listening to pastor, Bible teacher, and author David Harrell. For more information, or to order additional tapes or CDs of Pastor Harrell's messages, please visit olivetreeresources.org.